everyone. Welcome to another episode of Career Journey Podcast. I'm your host, Brittany Avila. Today's episode features guest Sammy Walker Herrera, and she is a career coach, career advisor, all types of different things um, now in sunny, humid Gainesville, Florida. You can find her at sammywalker.com. That's Sammy, S-A-M-M-I-E, Walker, W-A-L-K-E-R. And you can find her on Twitter and LinkedIn at Sammy ML Walker. Today's episode was a lot of fun just talking to somebody in a different area of higher education that likes to focus on the same things I do, career advice, career prospects, um, how to navigate career fields, all kinds of stuff. And we talked about everything. So not only her journey, we also talked about how to craft a good story to land a job or grad school. Um, If you've listened to this podcast before, you know that's something that I reiterate over and over again. I'm really big about crafting the best story to make you the best candidate. We talked about overcoming imposter syndrome, something everybody has. I still have it. She still has it. We worked through it. We talked about some ways we handle it. We talked about embracing failure and not only embracing it, but realizing that sometimes failure is a powerful force. Sammy talks a little bit about her career idea of how she kind of considered a failure in research, ended up not really being a failure. It was more, this is not my path and I need to find the right path. We talked about certain decisions that go into moving in careers that might not be related to just what career you want or where you want to live. We talked about how making friends can equal a job opportunity. Her current position wasn't advertised online. She actually was already moving to an area and realized that somebody she knew was in that area, went to meet with them and found that they were looking for somebody that she um, met the qualifications for. We talk extensively at the end about kind of benefits of counseling just in general, but mostly to college students. It's, I think a lot of college students underutilize this resource on their campus. So we talk a lot about that as well. So without further ado, please enjoy Sammy Walker Herrera. Hey everyone, welcome to the Career Journey Podcast, where we explore exciting careers and how to get them from the people who flipped it. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Avila. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Well, welcome to the podcast, Sammy. It's nice to have you on today. Yeah, thank you so much for the invite. I'm excited. (laughs) So we start with a very simple question. Did you have any idea what you wanted to be when you were a child growing up? I had some ideas as many (laughs) folks do. I believe being a spy was one of them because the Spy Kids movies were really popular when I was a kid. I remember the McDonald's toys had different spy toys and (laughs) I I remember some of them had like screws in them and my dad was a construction worker. So I'd borrow his screws and then like unscrew them and then realize there's not any fancy architecture or anything in there. Just different pieces of plastic connected to each other. So being a spy was definitely one of them, even though I can't keep quiet. Um, (laughs) Being an astronaut was up there when I was about 10 or so, just because I really like stars, but like the five part, the five pointed star you have like glow in the dark on your ceiling kind of thing. Yeah. (laughs) I realized once I 
would like look up for too long on a roof during a 4th of July and look up at the, the stars that I would start getting like motion sickness. Oh, so no. that was not the move for me. And I remember early on in high school, I wanted to be a chemical engineer. Oh, that's pretty specific. <laughs> yeah. And the reason for this is my, I really loved science in middle school and I was in the science bowls for like general, like biology, chemistry, physics, things like that. And my teacher, her favorite subject in science was chemistry. So I was like, mm. oh, okay, cool. I want to do something with chemistry, but engineering sounds cool. I didn't know anything about engineering. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a chemical engineer at MIT. Like, yeah. <laughs> don't know. I have no idea where that all came from, but I'm not any of those things, which honestly works very well for me based on my personality. Um, I took psychology classes mm -hmm. in the last two years of my high school experience. And so okay. I was in an in international baccalaureate program where you get to choose kind of what your major is in, right? In high school, I took psychology junior year, I thought it'd be interesting. And I realized, wow, I feel like not only can I learn really interesting concepts, but I can kind of think about how they apply in people's lives or how they can help other people. So I definitely would say my major in psychology came from taking those classes in high school. Um, and I was really lucky as well because I never changed my major in undergrad. Yes. I just kind of stuck with it. That's awesome. And so you went into the major. What was being a psychology major like for you? Being a psych major, um, it was interesting. I think one thing, and I, we talked about this a little earlier, um, the last time we chat was I didn't have the best sense of what college included, mm -hmm. and, but I knew I wanted to major in psychology. And I didn't know what kinds of colleges I should be applying for. My mom was pressuring me to apply for ones that gave full scholarships to low-income students like myself. So I was like, oh, I can do that. And <laughs> when I was looking at colleges, I would just hear the names of colleges. I would write them down on a list. I would kind of look up financial aid. I didn't have as much like knowledge about how to do that. And I would see if they had a psychology major. And if they had a psychology major, I was like, that's awesome. That's cool that they have that. I realized that every single college university pretty much has a psychology major. So that was probably not the best way to look it up. I didn't even know any, anything about rankings at the time either. Right. Um, and so thinking about that, because I didn't even realize all colleges had psychology majors, my, I went to Carnegie Mellon in, uh, in Pittsburgh for undergrad, and there were six different disciplines of psychology. So that included social, cognitive, uh, developmental, but specifically related to infant development, uh, human-computer interaction, uh, like more the biological aspects of psychology, mm -hmm. and then also clinical and counseling. And so, because that's what I, my exposure was in, I didn't realize there were other areas yeah. of psychology, let alone other areas of cognitive or other areas of developmental, let alone maybe 40 plus types of psychology um, that include like areas like multicultural counseling, right? Um, or even things like digging deeper into more of the qualitative or like the life storytelling experiences in psychology. So that's what I, what I thought psychology was. And even though I loved learning what I loved, I, uh, <laughs> I loved learning what I learned. Eh. Um, I realized that I kind of stuck out that so many folks wanted, were going into their PhD, they were going to be researchers. I didn't want to do that. So I felt like there's some parts of the major I really connect with, but I feel kind of like the, the lone person in the department. And I was the lone person in the department who graduated without that plan for a PhD. Wow. And I know we talked about this a little bit too. It's hard. One, it's just hard to 
pick a school when you have no idea what you're doing. Being first gen, I had that same experience. I ended up only applying to the college that was in my hometown because I didn't want to undertake trying to figure anything else out. It was so confusing. And then now having gone through several different psychology departments, advising on it, the fact that Carnegie Mellon had six different areas of psychology seems large to me because a lot of times there's three or four areas Mm. of psychology. And I think this is a really great thing for young students to know if anybody out there is listening, wanting to go into the psychology major, there are different areas of psychology. And if you don't know which one you want to go into, you end up kind of steered there by your department, depending on what it has. And then like you were saying, if the department doesn't have that psychology that you're looking for, you can sometimes feel a little left out. Yeah, I definitely feel like my psychology advisor, one thing he liked that I was very proactive. So not only did I major in psychology, but I also majored in Hispanic studies and minored in business administration. And I actually graduated with the exact number of credits I needed to graduate with all of that. (laughs) So every year I was, every semester I was pinging Sheldon for our, for our semesterly meeting to make sure I didn't mess anything up with my credits. (laughs) And I got the recommendation to work with him from a sorority sister of mine, and he studied specifically like health behavior. I was like, okay, but we just did not connect with like the specific content areas. And definitely I could tell he wasn't exactly sure how to advise me, or I would talk about my work working in the career center. I worked in the Mm -hmm. career center at CMU for three years. I was a resident assistant. I was part of the marching band. So I'd talk about some of those experiences and just not too much like connection or resonation there or even sense of like where I could apply those within a career in psychology. And there are so many different areas within psychology you can apply those it just might not have been offered at that university that you went to. Exactly and folks become an expert in their specific domain of psychology not an expert of all psychology even the professors who teach introduction to psychology think about all of those research classes that exist out there that don't talk about qualitative methods like interviewing, like focus groups, like ethnographies, things like that. What that does is it makes people feel like they don't exist or yes. they're not as valuable. Yeah, I was just talking the other day. I have in my um, history of psychology class, I have this assignment where I ask students, what do you think the dominant kind of school of thought in psychology is? So psychology has gone through several different schools of thought that are basically governing how we approach the discipline. Now it's a little bit more fragmented because each area of psychology has almost its own school of thought. I mean, there's a little bit of a overarching one, but most of it's kind of now broken up between the areas. But I asked them if you could have one school of thought, what do you think it is? And it's funny because they all say behaviorism or a majority of them say behaviorism. And I think the leading cause for that is because we have such a huge behavior analysis emphasis in our department where you don't see that in other places. Because not coming from this university, I never would have thought behaviorism in a million years because we didn't really talk about it that much. And so it really is colored by the people that you're working with that do have that narrow focus in their own And you can lose sight of other things like qualitative methods. I know students are always surprised when I mention industrial organizational or human factor psychology. Mm -hmm. A lot of students have never heard of those before. 
Yeah. I never heard about them until I started working in the career center at the university of Florida. Like I'd yeah. never heard of IO psych. I was looking at, um, employee benefits related to classes. Right. I was looking <laughs> through the psychology department. Cause I was curious and I was like, what is this? And it was like, then it, it snapped for me because I just thought about how I know a lot of career coaches who have a master's yeah. in IO psychology. And I'm like, oh, it really has that direct translation to be able to support folks like in their employment experiences. Um, and I wouldn't change what program I, I studied at for anything in the world. So I studied a master's in student affairs and higher education from Slippery Rock University. And its focuses were both like counseling base mm -hmm. so like k-crep accreditation as well as just a strong base in adult developmental psychology and that's where i found like okay i'm moving from the lone person in the psychology department just floating in the wind professors don't know what to do with her to wow i really found out what makes me love what i do and makes me get want this to be my primary worldview the way i understand things make meaning and how did you find that program? So kind of bridging the gap between you feeling like that lone um, person at your university to graduating and finding this, pro did you go straight into that program or did you do something in between? Yeah, so I did go straight into the program. So undergrad at Carnegie Mellon, I worked in the career center for three years, as I mentioned before. And one of the career counseling interns was someone who went to Slippery Rock. And okay. every year we'd have a couple of new interns come through the office. And as a student employee, we would maintain the front desk a lot or provide like individual resume appointments or schedule folks or let them know kind of, hey, this is where you should be going if you're meeting with this counselor. And so the interns and even often a lot of the career coaching staff would stop by the front desk and say hi to us or ask us how we're doing or what's going on with their academics. And so I believe it was about October of my senior year, uh, Sarah stopped by the desk and asked me how I was doing. And she also asked me what my next plans were. And I still wasn't quite yet sure. I knew when I was coming into undergrad that I was going to grad school for something. I wasn't, I knew that I wouldn't <laughs> directly apply like my bachelor's in psychology or Hispanic studies. I knew I wanted to really apply it in a different way, but I wasn't sure what type of graduate program I wanted to go in but I told her that I wanted to be a career coach as well. And I wasn't exactly sure how to be a career coach. And she told me, well, if you study something like higher education, you get the fundamentals of how you can be an awesome career coach, someone who's awesome at engaging the students, but that doesn't limit you to career coaching. You can work in orientation, you can work in diversity and inclusion. And that's what I did for about three or four years. You can work in residence life. You can work in academic advising, even supporting students in athletics. So I was like, okay, I like that because I can figure out the type of role or specialized role I want to be in or content area. But in general, it's similar. You're providing one-on-one -on -one or group support for students to be able to maximize their potential. So I was like, okay, I'm game. Uh, I'm interested in this. Um, at the time, I was also location bound. So I was only looking in the Pittsburgh area. So Rock is about an hour north. And one cool thing as well is when I was interested in the school, I talked to the graduate coordinator on the phone and she drove down to Pittsburgh oh, about wow. an hour or so to meet with me in the local Starbucks that was like five minutes off campus to tell me all about the program and welcome me. That seems rare. <laughs> it was so cool. Yeah. Okay, and so I like it too. It seems like it gives you more of a broader area that you could impact students lives so it sounds like a major theme and kind of what you wanted to do and so what exactly. was 
what was it like going through that experience? What was that master's program like? Yeah. So the master's program, two year master program, I actually, there, what, there's a three year option that I started off with first. So it'd be student affairs and higher ed, as well as college counseling. And so in Pennsylvania, you would need the 60 credits and then you can go through the national counseling certifications, NCC. Um, I realized within the first semester that what makes me really happy is giving group presentations and facilitating like larger change, changes with a lot of folks. Okay. And the counseling aspect would be focused more on one-on-one. So I was like, okay, I want to focus more on like the higher education degree. And so the experience um, was, was excellent. <clears throat> I do actually even recognize the first semester I was considering not being part of the program. Yeah. The reason for it is the classes were so easy <laughs> that I was like, am I not going to learn anything? Because Carnegie Mellon, I took three different research methods classes. Yeah. And then the research methods class I took at Slippery Rock, we talked about mean, median, and mode in the third class. <laughs> and I was like, am I this is wild. Am I losing it or something? And it just, this happens for a lot of grad programs, like yeah. truly any grad program that exists, mechanical engineering, computer science, education, K through 12. The first few classes are going to be more basic because you're bringing in folks from all these different undergraduate universities and requirements and things like that. I didn't fully understand that, but as soon as I got into the second semester and we started learning college student learning and development, uh, higher education environments, law and policy, I realized, okay, this is definitely the rigor that I was looking for, what I'm really interested in doing and applying. And those base, those base classes still were really helpful um, in applying that to those more advanced level, like thinking and application, like working directly with students based work. Well, and it's always good, one, just for learning to go back to the basics and then two, to see it in order to, like you're saying, help the students eventually knowing that everybody is starting at a different level of understanding and different level of knowledge must be a huge part of your job now. Exactly. Right. And getting a sense, as you mentioned, like how can you convert higher level like language or higher level concepts in something more general? And then also like I was able to help my peers or they will help me see things in new ways. And so even that like humbling was super important because right. I recognized when I first came in, folks kind of looked at me in a way. They were like, OK, well, Carnegie Mellon person is here. What's she doing? And I was just like, I'm nice. <laughs> Let's hang out. <laughs> All right, and so you go through that pro program for two years, and then what was mm -hmm. your next step? My next step, so during my program, I interned, so I had a required internship at a different higher education institution, and I decided that I wanted to explore working at a private, a small private liberal arts college, okay. and so there is one about a 40 minutes south of Pittsburgh called Washington and Jefferson College, so I was interning there and had a really unique position because my supervisor was the vice president of student affairs, which is very uncommon to have your supervisor be like the senior student affairs officer um, at your college. And especially because her supervisor was the president of the college. Oh, wow. And so very small, not too many layers of hierarchy, like a large pri uh, private research institution or public research institution, right? And so my role was staff development. And that's where I got some of my first tastes in instructional design, which I actually learned in my grad program as well, where I was reviewing different literature on diversity and inclusion for trainings, trainings for supervisors on how to really think and be intentional about their supervision practice, um, and even reviewing student employee 
uh, policies to get a sense of, okay, what will make it more accessible for students or what will really facilitate their learning experiences. So that was super unique. And I built a really great network there that when they had a diversity and inclusion position open up, which I had done my graduate assistantship in, um, they highly encouraged me to apply. And I went through the interview process and was in that role for about a year and a half. Great. And then I want to, I guess, go off on a little bit of a tangent. Yeah. Because now you're at, at that point, you're at a kind of small liberal arts college, like you're saying, it didn't have a, even a large kind of hierarchy structure. That must have been extremely different from Carnegie Mellon being kind of that research one university, a much bigger institution. What was it like exploring those differences? Yeah. Well, one navigating thing, them. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really great question. For folks who want to be higher ed professionals, it's really important to get experiences at a lot of different institutional types. And so Carnegie Mellon, right, medium-sized private research one. Slippery Rock, medium-sized, but a bit smaller, um, state-based public. And then, of course, Washington, Jefferson, small private liberal arts. It is really important to, to have those various experiences. I know even when I was applying to W&J, they asked me quite a number of times, like, why do you want to work at a liberal arts college? Like, what do you believe in the liberal arts mission? What does that mean to you? And I was in the humanities school at Carnegie Mellon. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, well, one of my degrees is in social sciences. The other one's in humanities. So let's talk about that. And I talked about like the value of that and why that was important, especially at a school known more for its technical prowess, right. Or more known for its arts prowess. Um, but thinking about navigating the differences, um, I think one thing that was honestly helpful is like a transferable experience is I went to a really small high school. Mm -hmm. uh, my high school had about 200 students oh. in it. Yeah. And my graduating class where there was like 60 of us. And so I was used to the two hallway school where everyone knew each other and things like that. So it made it easier to get to know all the staff and know the students experiences based on my high school experience as well. One thing I liked about Carnegie Mellon and my experience there was every day I can meet someone new and every day I can see someone I knew. Yeah. So I loved that because it was a good balance. I'd be like, okay, so this is my, more of my extrovert day or my, more of my introvert day. Who knows? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, W&J definitely has like significant rigor, but in a different way. Like their pre-professional programs are top notch, um, like pre-med, pre-law, things like that. Completely different than CMU's focus. They have students who might do pre-law and pre-med, but it's not like the main focus yeah. versus like using technology, using AI in novel ways or human computer interaction and things like that. I really think we should find a way to teach high school students these differences between these university types as well, because yeah. I think this isn't really something I knew until I was in graduate school. And it's not something that I really understood until I was applying to professor positions mm -hmm. where like you were saying, if I wanted to apply to a clinical or not a, sorry, a um, community college, mm. they were very strict on wanting you to have community college experience. Because if you come from this big research one institution, they question if you know what their mission is and what they're about. And so there's this difference between mission statements and what goes on in a university. And I think it's part of that hidden curriculum where we don't outwardly talk about these things unless you're in it. <laughs> yeah, and it is really important to get a sense of 
what are the transferable experiences you already have and what are the transferable experiences you can build? Because for example, I work at a research one right now. Mm-hmm. About 30 to 40% of the students in the College of Agricultural and Life Sciences, that's the career coach, um, that's the college I'm the career coach for, are transfer students. Okay. And a majority of them are transfer students from community colleges. Mm-hmm. So working with those students, if I wanted to feel like, okay, you know what, I want to move into the community college space, the access space, asking them about their experiences at their community college in the context of the coaching call to get a sense of like how they're going to embed that, how they're going to talk about that, how they're going to navigate their story. There are a lot of ways, there's a lot of partnerships and articulations between community colleges and larger universities, but often we feel like, oh, well, if I don't have the direct experience working, having gone to the private liberal arts college, I guess I can't apply there. And I said, no, I I was in the humanities school. This is my focus. It was like its own private liberal arts college because the rest of the school ignored us. So (laughs) this is how you can make it. But that's that's a feature of storytelling and also being confident in yourself to tell that story. I love this idea of storytelling because this is something I talk about probably way too much for my students' sake. Mm -hmm. They probably get annoyed with it. But I mean, storytelling is everything in a career in a sense, because you, just like you're saying, you can navigate. If you don't have direct experience, you likely still have some knowledge or transferable skill that you can call upon. And if you can tell that story and weave that story well enough, you can have almost more opportunity or, you know, get to that position that you want without necessarily having that direct experience, as long as you know that thread, that theme that's really driving you forward. Yeah, and it really is having like a, in a way, kind of like an abundance mindset, right? A scarcity mindset says something like, well, I don't have this transferable experience. Oh, I only hit 70% of this job description, so I guess I shouldn't apply. Oh, this person has the certification or I saw this person's resume and they have so much more, but versus that abundance is like, what can I do now? What can I do every day that adds a little bit to who I am and what my goals are, things I can try, things I can, often people are really afraid of failure. And that, that is, that's huge, right? Especially folks like myself who have like perfectionistic tendencies. But one thing I've realized is often it can be catastrophic if we fail when we overcommit to something and don't realize what we got ourselves into. But if you try little steps and you try little pieces, so for example, um, I, in my sophomore year of college, I did a semester six, six, what is it called? We have, we call them units. So six units, so two credits, um, research experience in uh, a social lab. And I was doing it. We had like a computer simulation thing going on. We'd bring students in and say, hey, the other participants in the other room doing this thing at your competition. (laughs) There was no other student. It was deception. And I hated it. I did not like it. However, I could say that was like a little mini step without overcommitting because the next semester I didn't have to do it. They were like, thank you so much for helping out. Like, that was cool. Glad you got what you needed out of that. Overcommitting would be like, well, everyone else in my program, they're doing a PhD in experimental psychology. So I think I should do that too. Let me just make myself fit into it and put myself in this and either not get accepted because I'm not a good fit or somehow get accepted and then realize really quickly in there that it was not a good fit. So recognizing that, yes, it can't, 
failure can be catastrophic, but only if we're over committing to something. When we try little things, you can just kind of like brush it off your shoulder and be like, oh, remember that one time in sophomore year I did that thing I hated? Well, one, I just really like that advice. That's it. I really like that advice. <laughs> I'm glad. But in that story, what else I saw was this idea of, well, failure, but it, I don't even consider it really a failure, your example of working in that lab, because I think figuring out what you don't want is just as important as figuring out what you do want. And exactly. if we're trying different things and putting ourselves out there, like you said, maybe in smaller ways, smaller commitment levels, but if we're trying on different things, especially again in psychology, where there's so many different career fields that you can go into, if you're trying the different areas to really figure out where do I fit best and what do I want to do, I don't even really consider that failure because I consider that part of the navigation process of figuring out your career. And I just think it's incredibly important to jump into these opportunities and then to figure out, oh, that's not really my jam, you know, <laughs> like, so as somebody who changed their career path at like every stage, I find it kind of beneficial to figure out what you don't like. Yeah. And I love how you said that that isn't failure, right? And I don't even view it as a failure, but maybe someone else outside yeah. you views it as a failure, but you have to recognize that like people are going to have their perceptions about things. It's, it's about them and how they perceive things versus you. And to be honest, after that experience, I didn't keep it on my resume. Did that mean it was a waste of time? No. And in some ways, because I did that and I realized very early on, I didn't want to keep doing things like that. I saved time and I was able yeah. to really immerse myself in things I loved way earlier than just trying to make myself like, you know, a square peg in a round hole. Yeah. And even like you mentioned that you took it off your resume, but for some students, you could even leave things on. I have yeah. a student asked me about three weeks ago, she was asking, I've done all these different things and they don't connect to each other. I was just trying a bunch of different things how do I talk about that? What do I do? And I was like, this is where that storytelling comes in. Mm -hmm. There's a common thread in each of those things that you tried that made you interested in those. And that's what you need to find is what was beneficial about that experience. So like, even with yours, navigating, working in groups of people, you know, there's something you could say about everything. My common response to students is even if you worked at Starbucks, you got to see people, you got to read people's emotions, you got to handle difficult situations, you know, everything that you're doing at any job at anything is beneficial in some way. So if you don't have a big resume and you need to leave it on, you just have to find exactly what you're saying, those transferable skills that matter to the next job, even if it doesn't seem relevant. Yeah, and honestly, there's still things to make relevant, even just to your personality, right? Mm -hmm maybe Starbucks is not as relevant to your PhD in experimental, but you get to say, I was the chief officer of misspelling everyone's name on every cup. <laughs> like that says something to someone who's like, wow, they feel comfortable in this interview. They want to be in a conversation. Right. They highlighted that, okay, yeah, they have management skills and they have supervision skills, but they also have a sense of humor and that resonates well with our lab or that resonates well with our internship group or our company or grad school. I like that. <laughs> All right. Now I know we meandered a little bit, so I want to get back. Um, you were at W and J for, you said a year and a half, two years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I ran then, both of those. Mm -hmm. 
And then where did you go after that? Yeah. So that's what, uh, after that, I made my transition back into both career um, and actually back to the South because I'm originally from Texas, okay. I guess mm, Southwest and then Florida Southeast, but <laughs> not North. How about that? Um, so I made my way, oh, not North, uh, to Florida. Okay. My partner started a postdoc in computational astrophysics. And I was like, I don't know what Sounds that is, but I, I like working career coaching and they have a few jobs open. And you know what happenstance, fun storytelling is included, is the person who told me about the job that I'm currently in, her name is Sarah, and she's the person who worked at the Carnegie Mellon Career Center and was the intern who told me about the Slippery Rock program as well. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm, so we're colleagues now, <laughs> as we were colleagues back at Carnegie Mellon. Interesting. And did you know that when you were looking for jobs there, or was that just pure happenstance? So it was like, I forgot about it, but then I slightly remembered. And when I was visiting my partner um, before I made my move here, I got to Gainesville and then I was like, oh yeah, Sarah works at UF. Let me, let me text her. So I texted her and it happened to be right before Thanksgiving. So she was like, oh, okay, like feel free to come in the office. So she gave me a tour of the space. I got to meet a couple of the staff members as well. And I actually didn't even know there's a career coach role open because when I was looking, it wasn't called career coach. Okay. It's called something more specialized and I just didn't know. And she was like, yeah, we have a couple of roles open. We're looking for some folks. And I was like, I had no idea. And so then when I submitted my cover letter, I highlighted that I was referred. Um, and I was able to complete all of the applications, the various interviews. And I started my role on March 23rd, 2020. <laughs> oh, great. Right when the oh, campus was all remote. It's where I worked for my first three months remote. Oh my gosh. How was that? I am a very adaptable person. Mm -hmm. And I also, my word for 2020 was gratitude. So I was like, I'm very grateful for that to have employment. I'm very grateful that my move was not altered in any way because of the start of the pandemic. Very grateful that I get to be with my partner during a time when we're quarantining and trying to make sure that we're staying safe. And with that adaptability, I just recognized like, okay, all of this is learning and growing. What I can do is just continue asking questions, learning and growing, navigating things, making sure I'm visible as much as possible. And one cool thing about our onboarding was there we're recommended to do 30 minute meetings with all of the staff folks, even no matter what their role is. And so I was able to build these really uh, connective relationships right from the start because I got to know them online and then they saw me in person. They're like, you're shorter than we thought and <laughs> it didn't change anything. That's a really cool model to be able to have that as mandatory to help you build those relationships. Exactly. And I just, I remember, I even remember some of our early conversations. One of my colleagues, Kira, I know that she and her family play tennis and I played tennis in high school. So it was just all about like getting used to Gainesville, what are the hot vegan spots, um, what are people's hobbies, what are things that people used to do before the pandemic, um, and, you know, why is my hair going to be frizzy forever? Oh, wait, it was for the first 17 years of my life. I should be used to that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I had the opposite problem. I went from the south to Nevada, and my hair, like, completely dried out, and I was like, oh, now I need to actually buy, like, expensive shampoo. Anyways, that's a whole deal. Hair struggles. <laughs> I, I, I still got the whole pandemic hair thing going on. Uh, 
in the video where she can see me and she can see my hair is quite long down to my waist. And um, <laughs> yes, a haircut will be in order soon. Yeah. I really, I want to back up a little bit to this idea that you found your current position in a different way. You didn't just look it up because it had a different name. And so do you have advice? I mean, obviously you were able to network. So I know that networking is really big, mm -hmm. but is there any advice for people looking for a career on how to expand their search to be able to find ones that maybe have a different, different job title? Cause that's just something that's super annoying that all these titles are so different. <laughs> Oh yeah. Like for example, I could be a career specialist or a career advisor or a career coach or a career counselor or a career consultant or not even have the word career in there and just be an advisor too. And it could be related to career, right? Oh yeah. So different ways to engage with that is first off, even networking. When you network with folks and you get a sense of what their career path is, what their interests are, common things in their industry and even advice, you can ask people things like, what are some of the key words in your industry, what are some of the similar titles to this type of role? And so you can get kind of that information from informational interviews as well. It's not like a weird thing to ask, um, but it is a little bit more novel, right? A lot of people don't tend to ask those things. They'll ask like, oh, how is your major related? Or why did you decide to do this, right? But you can ask some more of those technical questions that can be really helpful, right? For yeah. inputting in a job search engine or including keywords on your resume, your cover letter, things like that. Um, another option, and I love this tool, is the Occupational Outlook Handbook. So that is through the U.S. government. That is through the Bureau of Labor Statistics. So, again, Occupational Outlook Handbook. Um, so I believe that's like bls.gov slash OOH. I used it yesterday, so that's why I know them. <laughs> and what that does is you can include a name of a position, right? So if I wanted to put career coach or something like that. It would look up positions like related to that. When you go on the website, you then see what's the median pay? What does someone in that job do? What does their work conditions look like? So is it the type of role where you're in the office? Is it the type of role where you're traveling a lot? Is it the type of role um, where on your feet a lot? Things like that. Um, how to be competitive in that role, like different certifications or education that you need, um, salary based on different states. And my favorite part of the website is there's a link that says similar occupations. You click that nice. and you find occupations that have similar different types of work or similar names. That's really helpful. I know I, I give the same type of ones where looking at the median salary and what mm -hmm. the position does. And I think it's really beneficial to have the different names available because there's so many different, I mean, you talk about psychology majors, counseling, therapy, the different types of therapy, the different types of degrees. There's so many different things out there and it's hard to narrow them down. <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely can be hard. And sometimes it can feel kind of like, if I could only find the right keywords, I'd find the exact kind of <laughs> yeah. thing, right? And so that's why networking is really helpful because you get just so much information from a person that's easier to parse than it is to like parse from like 10, 12, 50 web tabs, things like that. Yeah. Right. Um, it's tough. And so many jobs, like they'll, they update the lexicon 
of an industry, which can make it mm -hmm. a bit tough as well. But just being open to the guest speakers for your clubs and organization, the guest speakers at your university um, or that the student activities brings in, what are their titles? What are their interests? And how can you even connect and say, hey, I saw that you were speaking at the psychology club. I wasn't able to make it. I'd love to connect because my guess is no one else sent them an email or sent right. them a message. And so it's not like they're flooded. And also it will remind them that, wow, I gave back. I can continue to give back, especially if I'm an alum. Yeah. And knowing somebody in the discipline that you want to go into is critical because especially mm -hmm. if you don't have an opportunity to have that experience. So with psychology, like counseling therapy type positions, you don't usually get that experience because you can't unless you're licensed. Knowing somebody in that can be very helpful. You know, for me, I went non-tenure track, which basically means I don't have the security of employment as a professor mm. and I make less money. But um, they're updating the lexicon on that. So it used to be that we were either adjunct or lecturer or instructor. Mm -hmm. Now they're trying to give us more fancy titles. So we're like teaching assistant professor or assistant teaching professor or, you know, there's so many different titles. And I had no idea when I was trying to look for a job it was impossible to figure out what are the difference of like, there's so many different titles for professors. What does all this mean? And if you don't know somebody in there, you can quickly become overwhelmed. And so networking to find somebody in that career can be really helpful. Yeah. My, my other piece of advice with this as well, and uh, being in higher education, definitely lucky with this. If you want to find a job in higher education nationally, of course, you can go to the individual universities and find their career pages, but we have a website called higheredjobs.com mm -hmm. and it has all the faculty, all the staff, all the adjunct, and even all the administrative um, types of roles that you can have at a university. So for example, even if you're an extension agent, right? Um, in Florida, you can even find roles there. And so if you're able to find these specialized job boards for psychology, for counseling, for HR, for digital marketing, then you at least know you're in the right place. And you can even scan and see like, what are these titles called? Well, what, the last question I usually ask is if you had one piece of advice for anyone, I know that that's really hard for you because you're a career <laughs> coach and you have so much good advice. What would you say is your top piece of advice or your top two, if you can't narrow it down? I would say one of my top pieces of advice and something that I wish I would have challenged myself at a little bit more is using time to really self-reflect. Mm -hmm. I feel like I was very reflective when it came to my assignments and came to the things I was learning, but maybe not so much on my own individual person, especially related to like career development. And maybe some of it was kind of, oh, I work in a career center, so I already know all this stuff. And but I was also applying, I know one summer I was applying for different roles in HR or different internship roles and I wasn't getting them. And I wasn't, I was just so un, unclear on why that was. And I was like, oh, but I work in a career center, so that should be enough. And yes, I knew a lot about resumes and cover letters and personal statements, but I didn't know a lot about industries. I didn't know a lot about networking. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know about like how to really highlight more of my accomplishments and my results, right? And so I think some more of that self reflection and self-awareness can be really helpful. I know a couple books that have helped me out a lot are, for example, Designing Your Life. 
There's a really great book. So that's by Bill Burnett and Dave Evans. Um, they wrote a book regarding the design thinking process. And that's what designers like architects use to think about like to design prototype um, and iterate regarding like their designs. But you can do that about your career and just about your like thought processes. So that book is really helpful for me. Um, there's another book by Katherine Brooks and it's pretty much like, what can I do with that? <laughs> what can you do with that major? And the book is about how your major doesn't determine your career and how that's an amazing thing because then you can storytell and you can create the themes about what you want and even build out the types of experiences you want to have so that they really align with what you want to do versus like, well, I heard HR was cool. So let me just try to fit myself into the HR, like the HR hole until I realize that like, oh, I don't want to do this. Maybe I overcommitted. Like we talked about a little bit earlier. Yeah. Um, that takes time. It takes effort, but again, it saves time because you're able to really get a sense of, okay, these are the things I really value. Um, it can be scary to do a little bit of that self-awareness. Like if we don't love ourselves, if we don't have health, if we don't have high self-esteem or confidence in that moment, right? That's not, that doesn't mean that you'd never build it. But in that moment, if you don't feel that way, it can feel very vulnerable to be self-aware and to write about yourself and really think about yourself. And so recognizing that bravery is so important. And especially if that self-reflection leads you to a place that's not congruent with maybe expectations that you've Mm -hmm. either had for yourself or that other people might've had for you. I noticed that a lot with students trying to fill expectations rather than following their own personal path. And that can be, you know, what you're saying is it saves you time in the future. It also saves you happiness almost. If you find more of what really motivates you and what you want to do, like you were saying earlier, if you tried to fit yourself into like social psych programs or HR departments, you wouldn't have been satisfied and you would have been trying to fit into something that just didn't fit you. And so being able to recognize that a little earlier can save some of that frustration and honestly, some of that feeling of failure. Mm -hmm. You know, if you could feel that earlier at that smaller step, exactly what you were mentioning earlier, if you could do that at the smaller step, it doesn't feel as catastrophic when you get to that bigger step. Exactly. And I feel pop culture wise, we frame all epiphanies and ahas as inherently good (laughs) things, but sometimes the ahas we have about our life are like, Ooh, Didn't want to know that, but now I know that. And so I recommend for students, especially in psychology, because it's in a mini shadowing experience, right? Is using your counseling center. I did. I used my counseling center um, throughout my undergraduate experience. It was really helpful for me. I even did an informational interview with the director of the counseling center to get Mm -hmm. a sense of like, that's the path I wanted to move in. And so there's a lot of features there, but just even get a sense of like, this is a space where I'm not going to be judged. This is a space where I can kind of just say what I need to. Maybe in the session I just spent, maybe in another session we kind of problem solve and navigate and talk about mindset and things like that. There have been times where I've been in classroom spaces with folks who wanted to study counseling psychology, but refused to go to counseling because they didn't (laughs) want to be that type of person. And the amount of self-restraint I had in the moment to not, (laughs) well, like, correct them or not give feedback in the sense of how like hypocritical I thought that was or critical in general. Um, it was tough. Or the fact that no matter what graduate program they went to, they would have to enroll in therapy because you, you have to be enrolled in therapy in order to get your license. 
Exactly. So I'm just like, do an undergrad, do a grad. But I mean, that's how far deep stigma runs. Yeah. When we feel like, oh, I can help other people, but they're the others who need help. I'm good. It's just, we all need help in different things and through life. We need help moving. <laughs> we need help carrying yeah. large books. Sometimes we need help understanding ourselves better and finding a space where you feel not, not judged. And I saw a quote, I think just yesterday too, that was saying, if you are going to a therapist, ask your therapist what the name of their therapist is. And if they say, I don't have one, don't go to them. (laughs) And I think it's for exactly that reason. It's that stigma, that othering of, I don't need this, but you do. And like, like you're saying, counseling can just be problem solving. It can, for Mm -hmm. me, it's organization. I make sure I know what I want out of life, where I want to go, what my, you know, it's all problem solving. It's sometimes it's just like you were saying, venting a lot of times for me, it's just me working through out in my mind in a given space. What am I doing? Where do I need to go next? All of this stuff. It's just planning and organizing in a sense. Sometimes, obviously there's other things that go on, but yeah. And sometimes it's emergence of mental health issues. For example, I was recently diagnosed with anxiety only a year ago. I'm in my mid twenties. Things come up for you in different parts of your life. I recognize now I have diagnosable attention issues. Both of knowing both of those things has been a game changer and has like helped me so much. And so that's okay. Therapy isn't about to find you out or to say that like, oh, now you have this thing. Um, It's about how do I live a more happy and productive life? And there's life cycles as well. Like I would have benefited extremely from seeing a counselor in college. And I regret not having gone, especially since you are already paying for it if you're a college student. It is something like you are leaving money on the table if you do not use the services at a university because you are paying an exorbitant amount of money. And a lot of times students just link that to the class. Like, why am I paying all this money if it's all online? Well, you're still paying for counseling. You're still paying for advising. You're still paying for career resources. Like there's still so much money that you're wasting to not use these resources, number one. So I always recommend, like I try to frame it that way because my first gen status I had no idea that like I was contributing to that and I was already paying and like I'm 35 I'm still paying this stuff off so I wish I would have used that more but then there was a time in my 20s where I thought I had it all figured out I finally figured out what my career was I was in a relationship that was heading towards marriage I was moving I was happy I was free everything was great and then now I'm in my mid-30s and I'm like oh I need to go back to counseling because not everything is proceeding exactly correctly and I need to help figure out and plan and move. And so it goes in stages. You're not always going to be in the same spot. Exactly. And that's why there's different options too. Like for example, my therapy regarding anxiety was short term. It was only six sessions and it was about problem solving. Like these are the ways that you can structure your work day. These yeah. are the ways that you can structure your house and office. Here's a book you can read. Here's an app where you can track some of these things. And it felt very constructive. It felt collaborative. Yeah. And so it didn't even have that feeling of like, oh, I have someone who's telling me what to do and bothering me or feeling like they're a know-it-all. It's just like they treated me like I was the expert of my experience and they were helping me make more meaning out of it. And proactive too. You're actually learning strategies to help you cope and help you deal with things in the future. 
I mean, we can sit here and talk about all the good benefits of counseling. I know. I love it. We need, we need a hater on the line. (laughs) Did we get to your big, your second piece of advice? I think you were going to talk about two. Hmm. I think my second one was regarding counseling, but I can think of another. I'm full of so much wisdom. Uh, Let's see. What can be helpful advice for folks currently studying psychology? Oh, here's one. I love really get to know the American Psychological Association website because that's where you're going to find a lot of resources regarding all those other types of psychology your college doesn't teach about yes. and can be really helpful for you to get language around it, to explore more than just keywords, right, for a resume, but explore different types of graduate programs because, yeah, you can get an undergraduate major in cognitive psychology, but you can get a master's in something. You can get a master's in family, marriage, uh, marriage, family, and therapy, right? Yeah. Like you can, you can mix and match or you can create your own story based on what makes the most sense on how you are, um, how you integrate different theories and integrate application and things like that. And so I would say one thing I wish I had done is gone to that site and checked out all the different types and met with folks who did those different types of psychology and just asked them questions about it. Maybe I would have started a blog. Maybe I would have started a YouTube channel or a podcast or some type of way where I can share those findings and not only help me, but recognize that I wasn't alone and that I could help others. Um, And so helping yourself often is the first key step to helping others and helping you find your mission and helping you find that thread between all your experiences that lines up and points to your passion. Yeah. And finding just different areas that you're not exposed to Mm -hmm. is phenomenal because I always tell students, I wish I had known about IO psych earlier because it's one of our highest paid um, (laughs) careers, but it's also like super fascinating for me. I study creativity and IO psychology is just filled with that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I wish I would have known that, or like you were saying, you don't have to concentrate in one thing. I was studying clinical when I was in undergrad. I switched to social in math, my master's, and then I went to developmental. And now I study like teaching and learning. And I wish I would have known that studying how people learn was a thing way back mm-hmm. in the day. I would have saved myself so much time. <laughs> but I'm also grateful because I have all this different experience to draw yeah. on now. But knowing that there are a lot of different areas of psychology and specifically that those areas you're limited in the areas that you're getting exposure to, especially in an undergraduate department. Um, There's so many areas of psychology that a department cannot teach all of them. And so there are areas that you are not learning about and trying to find out what those are, I think is a great, great piece of advice. Yeah. And honestly, it would be a disservice if the university tried to teach all of them because then they'd have folks teaching (laughs) about things that they're not an expert in or things that they don't care about whatsoever. But I do think it is responsible of faculty to be able to know about the other types to the point where if they encounter a student who's just not meshing as well, um, to let them know that like, hey, these are the things, these are the building blocks for your career, but let's explore some other career options as well. Right. Well, that was wonderful advice. Um, Thank you again for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. This was an awesome conversation. We had an awesome conversation ahead of time. So I love talking with you and I'm so excited. Uh, And I'd love to connect with whomever's listening, right? If my story resonates with you or 
even if it doesn't resonate with you and you're like, why would you do that? You can definitely reach out to me anyway. And where can people find you? Yeah. So people can find me on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Folks can find me on Twitter as well. And they can find me on my website. And so uh, my Twitter and LinkedIn, my at is Sammy, S-A-M-M-I-E-M-L Walker, two middle names, watch out. And my website is SammyWalker.com. Awesome. And again, like always, we'll link to those in our social media when we roll it out. So people will be able to find it very easily. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Career Journey Podcast. Head over to our website at careerjourneypodcast.com for more information and the latest episodes. See you next time.